Hey, welcome back to the Let's Keep It A Stack podcast. It's your boy Roscoe here. The gang's all back. We got Jay Will in the building. Turn up Tim Higgins, and we got Danny B in this thing, too. Uh, we apologize for the delay. Um, life happened, uh, to say the least. Um, Mother Nature is crazy. Um, just want to oh, hand uh, it off. Oklahoma's crazy. Let's, let's preface it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, pre- let's preface it. People Our, didn't have power for like a week. Our guy Danny B was powerless, so we couldn't even record. Like, Danny. We, we know the show can't get- we know the show can't go on without me, so. Okay, now, right. now, wait, my nigga, you need to pay your light bill first. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about. Trying to try to stud like it was a story. <laughs> oh, oh, man. It, it was crazy. We had, uh, I think, the wor- third worst ice storm in Oklahoma history. It was crazy out here. Trees everywhere. We was good up in here, up here in Tulsa. Like we got the the bad, we got the ice and everything. But I still had power, which I'm blessed to have. But I know a lot of people didn't. Um, my parents, my aunt were going through it as well. I'm just glad y'all were all good down there. Um, uh, Timmy, Timmy Higgins, how how are things? Uh, we good down here in Houston, man. This is beautiful weather. We got power down here. We, we still turning up down here as well. So life is good. We just all wearing masks. That's it. No, I see you shaking your head. Y'all not wearing masks. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie. I be making moves, but I be wearing a mask while I'm making the moves. Okay. So. Jay Flocker Willis, talk to us. Bro, it's been good, you know, just trying to navigate this COVID in the schools. Every time I get it, get notification, kids going out and stuff. So it's a tough situation for me, but we still hanging on. We still kicking it. Uh, I don't feel like it's going anywhere anytime soon, but shoot, I've been good, though. been blessed. The wife family was kind of like y'all in Oklahoma up in Stillwater, kind of stuck with the ice. And it's funny, she works from home. And so they were shut down because I was going to say, so she was off for two days chilling in Dallas. So she had a nice little two-day uh, vacation, but for the most part, we've been good though, man. So, shout out to Courtney. Hey, hey that's what's yes, up, sir. man. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. So uh, we're just gonna start off with. Um, I feel like the biggest news in the world right now is the American presidential election, and um, we already had a political uh, episode uh, a few pods ago. But uh, this this is this is sort of breaking news. This is. This is history. So we just kind of wanted to touch on it briefly uh, before we get into uh, the meat of our episode. So I just want to hand it off and get all the homies opinions on the results up to this point. Let's start with Danny. First off, I'm going to say one day y'all going to stop calling me Danny because y'all know I hate you. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) just letting all the listeners know, I don't like the name Danny. It's Danny. He I prefers prefer, Dan. I prefer Dan. No, I prefer Dan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my God-given Bible name. So, but uh, anyway, uh, no, I'm honestly not surprised with the election. Uh, I thought that it would be a landslide if it wasn't for COVID. And I thought Trump still had a chance to win uh, because uh, he has an extremely strong following. And I don't know what it is about him, but he brings out the racism. The, the, <laughs> he brings out the racist in people, uh, 
and they they love them. And I just knew that they were going to show up to the polls. And you know, it's crazy that uh, uh, Joe Biden has the the most the most votes out of any president in history, and he's not even like he's not he's not that charismatic or anything. He's not all that likable. He's not an Obama or or anything. And then what's even crazier is uh, uh, Trump has a second most votes out of any, uh, any presidential candidate, and he's going to lose. What's but, even crazier is that it don't matter that he can still lose the election, and we're down to a few counties in a few states, and he has over three more million votes than Trump. Don't get me started on the Electoral College. It don't make no sense. And it's such yeah, an antiquated model in 2020 that a man with 70 million votes, meaning the whole country likes him and support him, the majority rules, they were like, nah, we got to wait for Joe in Pennsylvania and Susan in Georgia and John in Arizona to decide this election. Like, it is not, that's really not fair at all when you really think about it. I mean, speaking of the electoral, electoral college, though, what, I mean, what's a better option? I don't think the, the popular vote is a better option because and they're both bad to me, but popular vote, I mean, Hillary won a popular vote, but if you look at it by state, Trump won the majority of the state. So, I mean, how can you say the person that didn't win the majority of the states should be president? And also, like, how can you say the person that didn't win the majority of the people? So, like, I don't, which I don't hold know. Hold on, man. I got, hold on. I got this one. So you you sit there and look at the states, but the states are actually mirroring the popular vote because of the electoral college votes. Oklahoma doesn't have the same number of votes as California or Texas. So it's kind of similar in that way. But the problem is with the Electoral College, all of the votes, the majority of the votes for one state, I guess, uh, count for that state. So, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, no, I, no, if, I get what, if, yeah, there could I, be, I there could be five, six million people that voted Republican in California, but their votes don't count because the majority of the state went Democrat. I mean, yeah. trust me, I know my vote doesn't count in Oklahoma. I'm just saying yeah, neither, exactly. neither, I'm just saying neither neither option is good because I mean, either way you're going to have people complaining like if, if Hillary would have won or they would have gave Hillary the presidency in 2016, people would have said, well, she didn't win the majority of the states. But Montana but, is not, but, not the same as California. It's a state. So I mean, it's a, it's a, but, but it's the a thing, state. The thing is though, why it's not going to change. If I remember looking correctly, I think six of the last seven, maybe the Democrat has won the popular vote and it's changing demographics. So Demo uh, Republicans want to change the guard. But if I was in charge, you should do it like the Nebraska or Maine model where you get a, they split the electoral vote. So if I was doing it, let's say I think Texas gets 38 and let's say Trump won 52. He should get 52 percent of that 38 and then Biden gets the 40 eight of whatever he gets. And I think that's the fairest way to do yeah. it. Split it. Nebraska like I said, and do it by congressional they do it, Yeah, they, you get like, you, you, you can split it. They don't all, like, I think, and currently Biden had got one of Nebraska's five, and then I think Trump got one of the uh, Maine's four. I think it should be like that because if not, it's just really not very fair. Then I feel like Republicans have gerrymandered districts and created certain politics where they always have a chance to win and it doesn't make any sense when the country has decided they want this specific person. I get you, Danny. The popular vote is not always the best answer, but the reason the electoral call was, was created because the founding fathers said that we were too stupid for to leave normal Americans 
to make decisions for president and it has to do with slavery because <laughs> everybody knows a little history lesson, you know, every episode we got a history lesson, that three-fifths compromise when they said black people work 60% because slave owners knew that if they did it just based on population, they were gonna lose. So states like Virginia, they may have had like 100,000 people, but they had like 300,000 slaves. So they knew that their uh, influence would rise up. So which is why the South has always upheld electoral college. And I believe in the 1960s, they had another chance to even, throughout history, people don't know, Congress has actually voted on whether to do the popular vote. It's come really close, but it's always been Southern states and Southern senators who block it because they know they will lose they're losing that power. They lose that last thing they got. And that's unfortunately, I think it'll never going to change. But let's preface this though. The election hasn't been decided yet. So we we were listening to this. We're still reacting to news as it goes about right now. Yeah, it's uh, almost 10 o'clock central time. Um, nothing's been decided. They're still counting votes in Nevada, Arizona, Georgia. Uh, North Carolina is still on the table, but... Um, Trump has a comfortable lead there, and then Pennsylvania as well. Um, just want to ask the homies again, um, who do we think is is gonna end up the winner? So, yeah. So, so for me, I'm not gonna lie. I was one of those people in 2016 that uh, did not have a lot of faith in Trump even making it that far. So when he was in the primaries, I was like, okay, this is a joke, whatever. Then he made it. I was like, okay, it's no way he's going to win. Then on election night, he kind of stunned us all, right? And so now I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of holding my breath and waiting to see. Right now, it's looking like Biden is going to win, but it's just like you never know. And we all know Trump is about to act a fool after this happens. So yeah, we I know he's going to try. See. About to show. <laughs> I can't wait to see it either. I'm he's about to lie. show his ass, boy. He's about to act a fool when this stuff ends if he loses because he's about to sue everybody and all this. So to be real with you, I think if that Biden is about to win. But even if Biden wins, it's just like, who knows? Because we're just in uncharted territory. Only why I say I think Biden's gonna win because they keep referencing these mail-in ballots, and uh, like the the problem is that we're still in COVID, so COVID really was split amongst party lines. If you primarily were Republican in rural areas, it probably didn't affect you. You probably listen to Trump like it's not that big a deal, so you went to the polls and voted. If you're a Democrat, you're probably in larger urban areas. You probably took a little bit more serious because you saw the effects, so you did what your constituents said and said voted in by mail. And so I think actually I think with MSNBC referencing, remember me and Daniel we talk about, dang, he finna take. Ohio because they counted all the mail-in ballots first and then all the people voted in person and it flipped and so now he comfortably won Ohio but right now they Georgia counted all the in-person ballots in first all of a sudden now here come the mail-in ballots and it's I think it's at 2,000 now remember this morning I think we said it was 15 at like 8 a.m now it's down to two and Pennsylvania still has a, I believe correct me if I'm wrong Daniel several hundred thousand to go to the vote and so it's it's about to to me it's not looking good for him if these mail-in ballots are so large in favor of Joe Biden and essentially Democratic candidates as well. Cause don't forget people, y'all voted for your senators and stuff as well. So that's a big thing to look at as well, how the uh, Congress changes suit. So uh, before we go to Daniel, like it's kind of ironic flock because that was ultimately his undoing because he told his people to go in person, <laughs> go to the polls and vote. Freaking say fraud. All these, <laughs> these mail-in ballots coming in, and you know they're leaning dim because of voting in a pandemic. Like you said, 
it was a partisan issue. So, uh, Danny B, thoughts? Uh, well, Jeremy mentioned senators, and I just want to say how mad I am at Oklahoma for <laughs> three reelecting. They elected my great grandpa. <laughs> Re-electing Imhoff again. Uh, he's he's an eighty-five-year-old man. He was eighty-five. His, yes, he will be ninety-one when his term is over. He, he was in his, his acceptance speech from the from he the nursing his, home. He was doing the acceptance speech. Like, thank he was, y'all again. <laughs> he, was in his, he was in his twenties to thirties when Jim Crow was going on. So you can you can take that how you want. Uh, but uh, Lord Jesus, we. We need to stop electing these old white men to check what anything is it, getting annoying. He should not be in office anymore. Luckily, he did say this would be his last term. If he, I'm not wishing death on anybody, but if he makes it to four six yeah, years, but I mean, you never know. That's wild. But man. but um, now I'm really surprised with Georgia. Uh, we were talking about it earlier <laughs> to to win to Georgia to even be in the the discussion for. Biden win is pretty remarkable and pretty shows how much people were fed up uh, with with uh, with Trump. Because uh, if you can win Georgia, then I feel like uh, the Republicans is just gonna gonna be pretty fed up with the whole party. Because he hey. could have won. He also could have won Dallas. I mean, not Dallas, uh, Texas. Shout out to Atlanta. Our people in Atlanta showed up. You already know who showed, showed out. Hey, speaking on, speaking on Atlanta, so I really think they probably had like Mayor Keisha Bott on the back because the the governor and them were like going at it over COVID and whatnot. Yeah. She was kind of became the voice of the people. So, I mean, I'm not in tune with Atlanta and Georgia politics, but I'm pretty sure a lot of them in them Atlanta suburbs and uh, I think it's Fulton County showed up probably on her behalf to help out because they were trying to keep treating her kind of wrong, especially Governor Kemp of Georgia was going overhead and being wild with it. Yeah. So I really think they kind of like she riled up the troops and riled up the base down there. And like you said, Daniel, it's really crazy that he's able to flip in more. Especially then we talked about how Arizona, how Trump made fun of McCain all these years. Making fun of him, calling him like he wasn't a prisoner of war. He just happened yeah. to be captured. That man and died. Got him. Yeah, died. And they said, you don't talk about our OG like that. And the boy, and they may <clears> flip <throat> it after 24 years. Yeah. That been, and they may flip it too, yeah. which is really, really more telling to me as well. You know, King's wife endorsed him. And that was basically the the, the stamp and sealed it. Because in uh, Arizona, they're going to ride with her. Yeah, the Arizona, I'll tell y'all from just personal experience, they love John McCain, they love Pat Tillman. So you can't speak speak no ill will against those two and people. And then when those two people are appealed, uh, war heroes and veterans, you can't disparage no war veteran too. That's like the yeah. ice on the cake as well. And it's, yeah. it's and talk about John McCain and how Trump uh, uh, disrespected him a lot. I wonder if uh, him disrespecting John Lewis helped in Georgia also, because I know he's oh, a staple. He's a staple in uh, Atlanta, so I know I don't know if uh, that helped him, or not helped him, but helped Biden out in the long run. Which disrespecting two people, and then that ended up causing you to lose presidency. Well, thing is, though, Daniel, he kind of made fun of all these majority black inner city areas. In those areas, if you go look at it, basically about to get him up out of here. He made fun of Detroit. He made fun of Atlanta. He made fun of Baltimore. He made fun of all these heavily urban black cities. And now if you look at the data, them kitties and counties and showed out and showed up. And it's kind of kind of funny, like it's coming to bite them in the butt. 
when it's time to really put your voice, make your voice matter, they showed up at these polls or they mailed their ballot in. And it's just it's super, super close. And he's on the verge of getting them up out of here. Because I think if he wins Georgia or the combination of Arizona, Nevada, I think it's a wrap. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a- I, I got a I got a question for y'all. Do y'all think that Trump is going to run again in four years? That's a really oh, wow. old. That's a good. Body. Will the Republican Party let him run? He's too old and uh, probably not. Like it, Mitch McConnell was fed up with him. Like you can tell when Mitch was uh, oh yeah talking uh, during his uh, his uh, when after he won, you can tell Mitch was fed up with with Trump. So. I don't even know if the Republican Party would want him to run. Uh, Dang, I knew Mitch was fed up when Trump was like, we finna move the election day. Mitch said, hold on now. He said, hold on. <laughs> he said, you're doing too much now. He said, we're not yeah. finna do that. And you, it's funny, when Mitch said no, Trump ain't mentioned that ever again. When he talked about moving the election day. If you want to keep it a whole stack, Mitch McConnell run the country. He He's really the main one in charge. He lets legislation go through. That's why we have no stimulus right now, because he keep playing games with it. Like, it's funny. I feel like if Trump would have passed a stimulus, he would have gave people five racks, whatever the money that needs to be. I feel like some of them votes probably would have went his way. He would have dropped the similar I mean, mid beginning of October. If he dropped another little pack, I feel like he may kind of went through. Cause people are like, hey man, what's that's five thousand for a family of three or whatever much it is. Like no hey, president man. ever done that before. Hey, five thousand yeah. right to the bank, whatever it is, couple, like five thousand trillion dollars for a few votes. Yeah. 1200 whatever you may, you may get, I guarantee you that I would have flipped some people. You gave me some money in my pocket right before Christmas and the holidays. Let's get it. Let's go back. We're running back. <laughs> Should have definitely been using uh, his Twitter fingers to say Mitch McConnell need to get this stimulus package passed. Yes. Yeah, but he definitely definitely would have helped. What do y'all think? Uh, so if, let's, what do you think? Let's assume we have a Biden presidency. What do you think that's going to look like? I ain't going to lie to you. I don't think much will change. I can only hope for some type of police reform, but I don't know if it's really going to trickle down to your local communities if it's done at the national level. So to be real with you, in this election, I feel like you were either voting for Trump or you were voting against Trump. It wasn't really people voting for Biden. That's just my opinion. That's true. I think it's just going to be trying to get through the next four years and then the country you won't see a shift in anything until after that. Like people just want, like Tim said, you were voting for Trump or you're voting against Trump. Like it wasn't for Biden. So I think it's just going to be Biden is the babysitter for the next four years. And then we wait until our parents get home after that. <laughs> um, that's about, that sounds about right. We're both uh, Danny and Tim said, uh, I don't expect any radical, pieces of legislation that come through on Biden's behalf or anything like that. Um, uh, the Republicans are still going to hold the, uh, this, um, Senate the majority yeah, of the, the house Senate. in the Senate, right? Yeah. So the, the uh, Republicans still got the Senate, but there's still a few seats that could flip. But I, I think they're predicting it won't because I think a lot of Republicans actually held power in this election. Uh, they re uh, they voted for him to stay, but the house is still, democratically controlled roscoe yeah so um like you said maybe like a placeholder four years and then we'll see where we go from there well i mean we will keep our eyes peeled hopefully this election gets wrapped up pretty soon it's crazy it's almost two days later we've kind of been spoiled in the past but finally got the results usually the night of or at least by the next morning but we're two days out and it could be even longer. We don't know. It probably will be longer because we already know Trump is going to go try to 
decry this election as fraudulent and use the court system, whatever means necessary to uh, remain in power. But coming up next, we got a real special guest. Uh, he's a champion in social media and got his own sports platform. He's doing big things. So stay tuned to part two. done talking about the messy election we have our second guest on the podcast he goes by many names there's mr bso the boss man mr headline but you can just call him robert Latam. how you doing rob oh man i'm doing well in these crazy times you gotta take it day by day <laughs> so first off I'm, I'm gonna ask you since we just got done talking about the election what is your take on it not so, yeah, not surprised at all. I, I've been telling people uh, literally from the time that Donald Trump was elected, this was going to happen. And then probably for the last year or so, anytime that I see the poll that said Biden was up large and all, like I said, don't ignore it. Don't don't believe it. You know, this happened, you know, fool us once. That's one thing. Fool us twice. That's a totally different thing. You know, the people that vote for Donald Trump are not the people that show up in polls. You know what I mean? The people that yeah. support Donald Trump, I, I try to tell this to people, like people think it's Republican and Democrat. I'm like, no, that's not it. This is racist versus normal, like people that <laughs> want a nice country. Like that's yeah, that's facts. the real, that's the parties. The parties is not red and blue. It's, you know, racist and, you know, people who are like generally like nice people in the world. So I, I'm not surprised that it was close or, or that so many people came out uh, and voted for Donald Trump, even though he's totally incompetent, because what they're voting for is not the economy, not the coronavirus, not, you know, the budget, not, you know, the uh, Afghanistan or North Korea. What they're voting for is just somebody that speaks to them as a leader of white supremacy. That's their guy, you know, they speak for them. So when they go out and do all of this crazy stuff and pull out the guns and shoot people and intimidate, when he comes behind them and says, hey, I don't see a problem with that. That's why they follow him. That's why they, you know, vote for him. So I, I wasn't surprised by what happened. So basically, just like the rest of us, <laughs> none of us surprised. Yeah. Um, well said, <laughs> well said. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Rob is the editor-in-chief, the owner of Black Sports Online's, the, the biggest uh, minority-owned uh, uh, sports media, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, uh, page, right? media platform. Yeah, pl there you go. Uh, let... Isn't that right, Rob? Yeah, it's 100%. So it's like, no, you know, oh, you know, it's not like, you know, BT. You know, where they all buy somebody else. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Some of these other sites, you know, like the the, the Rude and others that, you know, yeah, they're, they're quote unquote black sites, but the ownership is not uh, that at all. This is 100% uh, black owned. Sometimes to my detriment, you know, being a, a single owner uh, has pros and cons, uh, obviously, to it. But yeah, we've grown it to a point where I think, you know, we have a lot of legitimacy. Uh, within sports media, entertainment media, and, and now, you know, social justice media. So uh, I am one of the contributors for uh, BSO. I contribute and uh, beat report, beat reporter for the Thunder. Uh, Rob gave me that opportunity uh, a little over a year now. Uh, I'm like, 
I think I looked today like almost 1,100 articles. In, Man, uh, 1,100? Damn, you've been working, Danny. Yeah, that's why, you, that's why you don't text back. I see. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, last summer, I was uh, I, I was telling one of my friends uh, how much I love writing. He was like, might as well get into it. And I had contacted a, a few pages on Twitter, all of them either said no or they didn't uh, They didn't respond to my email. And I've seen Rob, who I had been following for some time, and see he, he was looking for some writers. And uh, I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm gonna apply or whatever, because he just might say no, just like everybody else. But my friend was like, might as well, worse he can say no. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So that friend's Kanayo, by the way, shout out to oh. Kanayo. But, uh, um, I emailed Rob, he emailed me back in like, I think it was like an hour or something like that. And I asked him a few questions. He gave me the rundown. He said, I'm gonna put you on a trial basis first. And I gotta show you if you wanna do this. <laughs> hey. <laughs> he ain't gonna let you mess up the company. He ain't let you mess up the brand. Hey. <laughs> right. And so at first, like like it was crazy because I thought I missed out. Like he after he sent me that that uh info, he was like, All right, tomorrow I'm gonna send you the login and everything, and and then I'll uh and then you can go from there. He's like, You gotta come with your own stories to write about and and uh and you have to do have to do three to four a day. And I was like, all right, I'm already right, good. So I, the whole day I was waiting. I was waiting for the email. And I thought he forgot. And it was like hour 19. And and I checked my spam folder. And that's where that's where the email was. And I was like, okay, I, I need to get time to get these stories out. But uh uh shortly after that, I I told him, but I want to do this for a living. And I Told him uh, how do I get into it? Can you give me some information, some guidance? And he was like, you know, Oklahoma, right? Uh, you contact the uh, the Thunder. I was like, okay. So I didn't ask anything. I didn't ask who to contact or anything. I because I, I was like, well, let me find out who to contact. It was like 15 minutes later. Rob texted me. This is who you need to talk to. <laughs> this go uh, tell him who you are. And then I was like, okay. Well, didn't even have to ask. I didn't even have to ask have to ask Rob who I should go talk to. He just came with that information. And then I got connected with the people at the Thunder. They got me on their uh their list. And then uh the rest is history. I went to the all-star game because because of Rob. Uh, he's created something. I was trying to be his assistant, Rob, but he said no. <laughs> but uh well, first thing, yeah, one of the things we try to do is, you know, there's a when I started, uh BS. So I didn't know anything about these procedures, you know, as far as who to contact, how to get credentials, who are the right people you got to make sure you're shaking hands with and building mm -hmm. the relationships with. So when new people come on, you know, I try to let them know because, you know, we're not ESPN, you know, we're not the athletic, we don't got $20 billion or whatever. Like when we do, it's almost like grassroots. It's like you have to start with one person you know, show them your work, show them your article, show them that you're serious, you know, because their automatic is, or well, at least it used to always be, oh, this is a website, it's not legitimate, it's blah, blah, blah. But if you do it in this proper order and you, you, you contact the people, you talk to them, they get to know you. I try to tell like young reporters all the time, it's really not, you know, the quality of your work is important. They like to see that, right? But this stuff is really about relationships. 
And if you have the right relationships with the PR guy or the the you know the secretary or whoever you know you can get a relationship with, once they like you, that's it. You're in. <laughs> you know, like when when I started doing the NBA stuff, it's a true story. The the, per, the the first person that was like in charge of all the big NBA stuff, for whatever reason, didn't like me. Didn't like the site, so they would continually decline. You know our credentials. But then that person moved on to another position and the new guy that came in, big fan, liked the stuff, thought I was funny and everything. You know, when I said, hey, I read site every day. I think it's really cool what you got. He starts approving, <laughs> you know. So sometimes yeah. it's as simple as yeah. building the right relationship to, to make sure that you can move on. And, and, and you know, what Daniel's done is that he's become a fixture uh, in that Oklahoma City, you know, media community. To now, like they don't even pay attention to what he does because they know he's there to work. They, they they've seen his activity, they've seen his questions, they see he's not there to play around. He's not just trying to get a free ticket. They see his work on the site. They can see you see his his work on Twitter, and then now they they feel so comfortable. So when he wants to do something else, be it the All Star, maybe he wants to move and go to a different city, he's already built up this credibility that he can just take with him wherever he goes. If he wants to work for a biggest site a TV network, do radio, whatever it may be, he's built up locally the credibility to branch out even more locally or even nationally now. Yeah, and then when he needs an assistant, he can put me on too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you take me to All-Star game next year. All right. All right, well, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy you uh, mentioned uh, uh, relationships because I remember the first thing you told me is uh, it's not it's not about who you know. I mean, it's not about what you know. It's not about the degree. It's about who you know. And when you asked me to go to the All-Star game, I thought it was just something everybody gets to do. I thought, like, if you writing for the NBA, you get to go to the All-Star game. So when when you asked me, and I obviously said yes, <laughs> um, I went back to the Thunder Media Buzz, like, are you going to the All-Star game? And they were like, no, I've been trying for five years. And I was like, mm-hmm. dang, that's dang. Yeah. I was like, well, and they was like, how you get to go? And I was like, well, like Rob <laughs> put me on. And they were like, oh, then you lucky. And so it, that at that point, it just really made me realize it really is about who you know and who who can put you in contact with the right people. So Rob, I got a, yeah. I got a question, Rob. I know you started writing. And if I was an up-and-coming sports journalist, I would think the, the you would want to go work for ESPN, maybe Fox Sports, maybe Team 2, whoever. Like, what gave you, like, the wherewithal to, like, start your own stuff and not and build your own brand? Well, you know, like, ES, think of ESPN, like, the NBA or the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of good college players, right? <laughs> but everybody yeah. doesn't go, you know, to the league, you know? It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. I think all sports journalists, you think in your mind, okay, ESPN is the end-all, be-all, FS1, you know, I get on that, or CBS or NBC. But you have to realize those jobs are finite, and there's many more people out there than there are, you know, jobs, especially if you're thinking, like, on air, on their website. It's really small. Like, I think people don't realize that because, like, oh, we see Stephen A. Smith every day, and you see, you know, Max Cup. But you got to realize half of the, the big jobs are taken by former athletes. So that even True. even you know gets it up loud. So True. right now you're like, how many reporter jobs, you know, are they? The reality of the situation is, at least for me, was 
the only way I was gonna, in my mind, when I started was to get to that level was to build up my own brand. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, get noticed. Then, you know, you kind of take those next steps. What ended up happening was I built up the brand so big that it would have actually, in some ways, it would have been a step down <laughs> to, yeah. you know, to, to go there because, you know, ESPN, you know, unless, you know, they came with some sort of like crazy offer, the, the brand itself, the, the site, had more brand value than me taking just a regular old job, you know, at ESPN. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then you add on the fact that with ownership, you can kind of say, do work how you want, you know, to work. Now, what I always tell people that are getting into business now is different than when I got into business, you know, 15 years ago. I mean, we were still on dial-up. Internet back in. Some of you guys don't even know what dollar. AOL. 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 The blockbuster that doesn't exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to get those free mm -hmm. AOL discs. So, but now we're more of a, a digital world. Look, you know what I mean? We're all on Zoom and all of this stuff. So I tell people now to get your digital brand. Sorry, my dog's barking. Uh, you know, get your, get your, your YouTube channel, your podcast. Right. When you do your Twitter, do little Twitter videos, do Instagram videos, do Snapchat. No, the young, young people do TikTok because now that new wave of reporters and they, they're not coming the traditional way. They're coming the non-traditional way, which is interesting to me because people always called me non-traditional back in the day. So the stuff that I was doing back then is now hot. You know, now you, you guys know as black people, that's what ends up happening. We start the trend. And then that's what it is. Like, yes, sir. <laughs> blogging in and of itself was something that, you know, you know, blogging and quote unquote internet celebrities and stuff, that's all something that came from us, especially in sports media, because we didn't have the opportunities to get to mainstream media. Now all of their people are tweeting this stuff. Like I was before Adam Schefter was tweeting our news, I was doing that on Twitter three two years before that, on Instagram two years before that. So you know, it kind of comes full circle. So now these days, if you if you if your end goal is to get to ESPN or one of those things, you have to build up a personal uh, brand on social media, on digital, to the point where they want to bring you into the fold. Because, like most major companies, ESPN doesn't create anything. They they see somebody else do it and then they buy yeah. it. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, that, that's, you know, Instagram yeah. and Snap, all of that, you know, Instagram and, or Facebook, I should say, they see what somebody else does. And then they, everything from like Instagram is came from like, uh, or the new stuff from Instagram come from Snapchat. Yeah. You know, they used to have Instagram stories. Stories, yeah. And, and re, then they saw a TikTok doing what they did. Then all of a sudden we had reels. See, that that's yeah. how it worked uh, at that level. It's like, they're not innovative. They're looking for the innovators. And then they just bring you in, and then all of a sudden now it's you know there you go. Yeah, I I, I got a question actually too, Rob. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to take it even further back and kind of understand how you got into sports journalism in the first place. Like, are you did you know when you were coming up? I want to be a sports journalist. Did you kind of stumble upon it? Like, how did that even happen? Yeah, so this is not like uh, people ask me that all the time because you think the way it works for some people is like they kind of stumble into it. But that was never the case for me. Back when I was probably you guys as an age, younger, uh, you know, you had to go to college. You had to go to journalism school and and go do the newspaper and do the school newspaper and all that stuff. So that that's always what I wanted, you know, to do. Besides, you know, your regular young person stuff like rap and play ball and all of that stuff. But as far as a career, I always wanted to be 
you know, in journalism. I would have never had thought that it would have took me this path. The path kind of, you know, kind of wrote went, went with the flow with it. Uh, but the actual wanting to be a sports journalist, wanting to be the next Stuart Scott, that's that was since I was a kid. Like I used to, you know, I used to turn the, the volume down on Sports Center and do the highlights in myself. And I try to do them like Chris Berman. I try to do them like Stuart Scott. I try to do them like Keith Doberman before he went all crazy and stuff. You know, so I used to, you know, I used to practice and stuff. And when I, I was in high school, you know how in high school, you know, they do the homeroom and then they do the end of the, the, the day announcements. I would do them like I was doing Sports Center. I would cut the highlights from the, the, the football. Like I would do all of that stuff. So this is something that is from, you know, almost from my, the youngest of I can remember, you know, up in, until now. So in that instance, I'm very extremely lucky because not a lot of people can say, hey, I wanted to do this when I was 10 years old and, you know, 40, going on 44 now. <laughs> and it's like, I've been doing it my entire, you know, life more or less. You know, so that's a kind of a, a great thing for for me to say to that I've been able to do the thing that I wanted to do in life. Hey, Rob, it's Roscoe here. Um, I have a I have a question as well. Um, can you kind of expand on the current state of journalism uh, as it stands today, and maybe where do you think it's uh, headed? Also, maybe some good and bad aspects of just the overall industry. Well, it's not great. I'll be honest with you because. <laughs> It's kind of twofold is you're taught, you know, things about journalism in the sense of, you know, getting the facts right, you know, making sure that you're, you know, just kind of just being unbiased and things like that. But when you look around, especially the sports journalism landscape, you can look at the political landscape and other other aspects of journalism. The people that get paid are the ones who do the exact opposite of what you're taught. You know what I'm saying? Like. Stephen A. Smith used to be a newspaper man, right? You know, back in the Philadelphia Inquirer days. But that's not how he got paid. You know, he got paid because he was bombastic and a personality and made fun of the Cowboys. That's Skip Bayless, same thing. Newspaper man, you know, these are newspaper guys. How to get paid, though? Bashing LeBron, you know, being the Skip, you know, uh, all of that stuff. That's how, that's how these people get paid. And you look around the landscape and you say, well, who are the, the, the reporters that you know? Like, do you really know the reporter that gives you the breakdown of the, you know, the X's and the O's and the, the 10,000 word articles? People are so quick. They want the information quick. They want it, you know, they can read it. They, everything is 280 characters, a tweet, uh, Instagram and everything. So journalism has become what I like to call micro journalism. It's like who can get out the information fastest, quickest and shortest. Right. And it's taken away from the quality of the stuff. You know, the reason that you don't have like Sports Illustrated magazine anymore is why would anybody need to pick up Sports Illustrated magazine? <laughs> you know, everything is on Twitter. Everything's on Facebook in five seconds. So when I was a kid, if I wanted to read about, you know, a football team and it was, if I want to read about the 90s Cowboys, I would go to I would read my Sports Illustrated it had a 5000 word piece on it. You know, I had to sit there for, you know, an hour and read it. You know, now there's 30 Cowboy journalists on Twitter giving me up-to-date information every single second. So it's not, like I said, it's not great. It's more entertainment than it is hardcore, like here's the sports, here's what's happening and everything. And I'm not saying that's, that's bad. I just think that people need to recognize that that if you don't have a certain personality, uh, if you're not kind of promoting yourself, 
uh, just, you know, being able to write like the best, you know, being the best writer of all time is not going to get you noticed and not going to, you know, pay your bills in this era of, of journalism. Is it even harder to navigate these spaces as a black man? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's everything's a microcosm of society. So I think what happens is, is that we get a false sense of the opportunities because a lot of the big guys on TV are black. Uh, but that's kind of a, a misnomer is that, yeah, like, you know, but if, if if I'm watching TV and seven of the faces are black, but five of them used to play in the NBA and the NFL, then that's not really an opportunity for black, you know, journalists, right? And then if I see certain other ones and I'm like, okay, I see Stephen A. Smith, I see, uh, man, you know, uh, uh, I can't even think, see, on top of my head, <laughs> you know, so you, you don't see it. So you got to think of it more on a local level. Like, I'll, you know, ask Daniel how many brothers is in the, the press room of the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, they may have... Not in Oklahoma. You know, <laughs> like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, how, how many... If they have, what, 30, 40 reporters there, you may see two, three. So the proportions are, are, are all bad. So that's why I always say start on your local level and build up. Don't think it's a, like anything else. And like, don't think it's a get rich quick, you know, scheme. Like sometimes you see people and they blow up on social media and next thing you know, they have a job in media. Ideally that, you know, that's great. But reality is you're going to have to start low and as a black person and slowly build your way up. And then on top of that, uh, make sure you don't have any missteps as you go up the ladder because it takes you all the way back down. Like some, you know, they can fail and fail up. You know, unfortunately we have missteps it takes us down and then we have to rebuild all the way up again. So it's, 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 it's a struggle, but it's the same struggle that everybody's going through, you know, kind of at country, the whole countrywide. So yeah, Rob, I got actually a follow-up. Oh, I I got a follow-up real quick. Uh, So you touched on like how some people get on social media and then they become reporters just based off their following and the personal brand they built up. You touched on how athletes come into this space. How do you feel about that? As like a homegrown journalist. There's a lot of people infiltrating the field, it looks like. Well, it, it doesn't bother me because without social media, you would, guys wouldn't know who I was either. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so That's true. I, don't want, I can't be a hypocrite uh, about it because without social media, there's no way my platform would have been able to reach as many people as, as it does because that was the always the main problem when you had a website back in the day was you may have had a loyal, you know, following, like a really loyal following, but how can, if I do one tweet, right. Uh, you know, how can I get that out to all 50 States? You know what I mean? If I do one uh, Instagram post or one Facebook post, how can I get that out to 500,000 people? Just if it just blow, happens to, to blow up, you can't do that without, social media. So it doesn't, that, that part doesn't, you know, bother me. I think sometimes the bothersome part is when you know that some of the people that are getting opportunities are not very talented, like, you know, like they're, they're, they don't really have the skill set. They don't really deserve the opportunity, but for various reasons, thanks to social media, they're able to get uh, the opportunities. You know, you see someone that, you know, works really hard, uh, that has a lot of talent, that does everything the right way. But, you know, maybe they're just not a hot taker. Maybe they're not just somebody that's going to say crazy stuff. And you see somebody on the flip side of that who doesn't work very hard, that doesn't do a lot, 
you know, but they, they cultivated social media because they say crazy things. And then they're the ones that, you know, get the opportunities. That part I do struggle for other people, you know, with. Like, there's a guy that I won't name, and he he, he works for the NBA. He's an NBA writer. Uh, his takes are terrible. Like, it's, it's almost as if he doesn't cover the league. You know, but the the, issue, the the funny thing is, is that he doesn't seem to know what he's talking about, but he's always arguing. And he builds up his, you know, I guess he builds up his followers. He builds up his notoriety because he's always – saying these wild things that really aren't close to being true, but it riles up people and therefore he becomes more popular. And so he's not popular because he does his job very well. He's popular because he's able to rile up, you know, people with nonsensical, you know, takes. That part I think is a little backwards uh, about social media. It can be, I know it can be frustrating the people that really are working hard and take their, you know, uh, their, their, their craft a little more seriously. So you just got done touching on social media and you are huge on social media. Uh, how did you go about carving out your niche uh, to get that big? Well, you know, the, the thing about it is I think now people mentally go into it like I'm trying to be social media famous. or I'm trying to get social media attention. Uh, you know, for those of us that were on, like, say, Twitter or even MySpace and stuff like that, back then, nobody knew if this was a viable type of thing that was going to last anytime soon or any, any long time. So when I got on Twitter, first off, I had to be convinced to get on Twitter. I thought it was the stupidest thing of all time. Like, why would people want to hear what you had for lunch or, you know, whatever? I didn't even see, I didn't even see the potential, uh, you know, of it. And I think what happened was is that I think when you sometimes you go into it like that, not trying, uh, your audience happens organically. So I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just being the way I am pretty much all the time, uh, which is funny because then you go out and you actually cover events and people say, hey, you're the exact same way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not an act. That's just, you know, how I, you know, how I am. Uh, now I think people literally try to cultivate it, which is fine because it's 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 more people on, so you kind of have to do that. But I I'm still a big proponent of if you're authentic, you're, you're just yourself. That will work more than any other thing. But find something you know that you're good at. You know, some people are good at doing uh, gifs or gifs or whatever. Some do it with memes. You know, other people has long things about takes. Other people are like, look, I'm I know every like you know like just using Daniel as an example. Uh, as somebody that something that you could do like hey look I know everything about Oklahoma City Thunder basketball like there's a great populace of people that just want to know about that you know I've seen people get big off social media just because they know one specific thing and they know it very very well <laughs> and it, it, it could be as simple as that so um you uh <clears throat> excuse me you talked about uh, the popularity of it. How did you go about coming up with those headlines? Because, like I said, you are Mr. Headline. Well, the thing about the headlines it. Headlines be the best, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about that, which is interesting, is that that's always been a staple uh, of BSO. Like, I've always known when you have a website and you're competing. Uh, with the same information that everybody else has, more or less. Because, you know, I'm not Woj. I'm not Adam Schefter. I'm not breaking, uh, you know, news. Uh, so, you know, when, when something happens, 
I'm getting it just like everybody else. And you know, now it's a, it's a very bloated media thing. But the whole thing was you have to do something to say, well, what's different about what I'm saying than what you know somebody else is saying? So because then they would want to click me instead of click them. It's the same information. There's nothing different uh, you know, about it. Uh, and so that's all that came from. But I try to tell people that like, it's not a it's not like BASA, right? Like, and this is not a knock on BASA. Like BASA, I think, sits down in a little war room. And this is great for them because I laugh at their stuff, too, and try to come up with these real, you know, creative things that, you know, kind of, you know, name calling people. And, and that's their thing. Right. And, and you know, it's it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's very, very good on them. They're very good at what they do. Um I'm not like that. What I do is I just take the information and put it in the headline. The problem, the, the, the only difference between me and say like the ESPN or CNN or something like that is they're governed by like a certain uh, standard, I guess, you know, whereas if I'm doing a story on, I just give you an example of Golden Tate and Jalen Ramsey, like ESPN can't, they're still it for me, but they can't talk about, you know, Jen and Ramsey and the stripper and the, the the sister pregnant. Like they they can't they can't put that in the headline. It's just too many checks and balances and old white guys that'll be like, nope, we're not doing it, right? Well, I just can't. So I mean, so I put it in there. And now if a million people are like, oh, Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate is fighting, if you look at ESPN, that's all you know. They just fall, like any other fight. Like, oh, that's a thousand fights of between football players. Well, BSO got this additional information that I didn't know about. So you got the T. Right. You got the T. Yeah, right. So, you know, now I got to go. So that's that's really all it is, is that you're taught in school, like your headline should be short, concise, to the point. You know, this isn't, like I said, this is a different world. It's a different era. This is not AP, you know, media. You know, so if we have to use all 200, if it's 280 characters and we're going to use 279, to get people to, to do it. Yeah. You know, that, that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. But the thing is, I always just take the information that's there. I don't add anything. I don't try to, you know, be all super creative. Here's what happened broken down into X, Y, and Z and why, if there's more to it, you should be interested, you know, in it. And it's really as simple, you know, uh, as that. And Daniel will tell you is that after you do it a few times, and you really see how it connects with people. It's not as hard. Yeah. It's not. It's not like I go out there like, oh, I got a little crown on my head. I'm the king of the headlines. You guys can never do what I can. It's not that difficult to be honest with you. I can't even give myself that much credit. Yeah, when when I first started, uh, I would have troubles with the headlines, and I tried to go out of my way to make them sound like Rob's does. And I remember one time I I was like, I need help with this headline, and he was like, Nope, uh, <laughs> try it out, try it. And so, like you said, after time, it just became natural. Where now, sometimes it's sometimes it's Rob's headline, sometimes it's my headline, sometimes it's a mixture of both. But it just it's just natural. Like it, I don't I don't think about trying to make a popular or spicy headline or anything like that. But speaking of Twitter, we know Twitter was a wild place back in the day. And then for you, I, I vividly remember, you got to tell me, you probably know where I'm headed with this, that fight in California <laughs> where you tweeted oh. that, where he drove. Uh, was to Temecula. 
to Mecula, yes. Yes. Man, please talk about how that popped off. And I said, I remember, I remember that day I was refreshing my feed for every update you gave about that. It's still one <laughs> it of my funniest that. stories that I ever remember from Twitter, honestly. We got to get some background on that too for, yeah. for the listeners. It, 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 it's interesting because you know, I wasn't staying in California uh, back then and I live in California now. And I've been in Temecula. It's a very a nice place. Got a lot of Trump people, but pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> place. But anyway, for those that don't know, uh, on Christmas Day, I believe 2014, yeah. uh, there was a uh, Twitter situation where the NBA games were going on. Some, uh, some guy was talking bad about Kobe Bryant. Um, another guy who was a Kobe fan uh, didn't like it and you know said they want to meet up and fight uh, in Temecula, which I guess was the halfway point from where they thought that they were at. Uh, and he actually drove on Christmas Day, left his family <laughs> and everything. And he had pictures of him driving. <laughs> um, that's actually the beat me in Temecula story is the birth of the Twitter reaction uh, story. So you guys now see pretty much every site um, in the world does Twitter reactions or when somebody goes viral on Twitter or like you saw like what J. Cole last night, you know, people doing puns and then they put all the tweets together. That wasn't really a thing um, until, you know, this. And the reason was because like like you were saying, there was updates of him driving to Temecula. Um, and I was adding the tweets as it went along. So it ended up being like a, before they even had a thread, you know, Twitter thread, this is kind of, you know, what that that was. And that's a, this is just one of those things where, especially if you're independent, if you're an independent site or an independent media, you have to look for stories that are outside of the box uh, a, a little bit. And that was Christmas. And, you know, not a lot of stuff goes on, you know, Christmas, rightfully so, you with your family um, and everything. And, and I just thought it was interesting. And but what was happening was with Twitter, you know, how sometimes when people are arguing on Twitter, there's so much replies and stuff coming in. You can get lost about what's actually happening. And I thought, like, you know, well, this would be a good thing to do. This is an interesting story. It's about phobia. So it's basketball. Why don't I organize the tweets? So everybody can come, you know, read the story. And lo and behold, you know, it, it kind of blows up into its, you know, its own thing. And he, next thing I know, these guys are on, you know, ESPN off something that I, you know, created. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's kind of a legendary type of thing. But that actually birthed, you know, people seeing that you didn't have to be an athlete to have a story go viral about sports or entertainment just from social media. That was the birth of that. Like two, I'm not saying there were nobodies, I'm just saying it was just two people that just lived on social media and they became a national story. That was the first time something like that, you know, it happened. Now it happens, you know, every other day. You know, somebody says something on Facebook or say something on Instagram and it goes viral or somebody loses their job or they're racist or something. You see all the videos and stuff now. Uh, you know, the Karens and all that stuff. All of that stuff wasn't happening in 2014. You didn't take your video and bring it of your Karen or your racist person or someone doing something weird in the street and take it to social media, really. It wasn't like that. It, it didn't really get in the mainstream media. After that story, I think other media people saw the potential of that. And then 
next thing you know, now it's kind of a, a mainstay that there's almost as many social, quote unquote, social media stories than there are regular sports and entertainment stories. You just said uh, it wasn't until then that uh, people started doing Twitter react stories. And I don't know about you, but I didn't see anyone doing Twitter reacts until you started doing them. Then I started seeing complex, uh, a couple of basketball pages and all of them started doing it. So, but uh, I kind of feel like you influenced that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you full credit, but it seems like you did. But uh, before that, I'm going to ask, uh, where did your influence come from? The, the, so that's the thing about it is, is it's not like, um, it's not like a, some sort of brilliant idea comes about it. Man, it's brilliant. I want to try to do Normally it's just off the top of the head. Like it's just like the whole thing, like the IG model, right? Like that's a, that's a phrase that I came up with. That's now in the lexicon. That came actually from a different phrase, you know, before Instagram we used to call them uh, twatters, which were Twitter models, like, you know, people that went on Twitter and, and did all that. And that came from a phrase, another phrase from MySpace, when we used to say MySpace models, like, you know, it's the same thing. We just moved it from social media and then all of a sudden it actually became a thing. Like it's actually a quote unquote job now. So a lot of it's by accident. I'll just be honest with you. It's not like, I like, ooh, this is gonna, you know, blow up. Like to me, the, the Twitter reactions was kind of twofold. Like obviously I started doing these quote unquote Twitter stories, right? But the reason I started doing Twitter reactions was for this reason actually, was let's say there was a trade, right? So somebody got traded or whatever. Let's say, uh, you know, uh, Carmelo Anthony or whatever, whoever. Somebody gets traded. Well, it, it started to become apparent that people like Woj and Shams and stuff like that, once they tweeted out the news, it became redundant to put it on the website because everybody's seen the tweet. You know what I mean? But everybody likes to know if what they said was cool enough to be part of the reaction. So instead of just regurgitating Carmelo Anthony gets traded, now it's Twitter reacts to Carmelo Anthony getting traded. Now there are people that are going to go in, A, just to see the real funny tweets, and B, to see if maybe their tweet made it. And now you have a, a, a different audience going in. They don't, they don't, they don't want to know about the actual trade. They already seen that. Now that you're, you're going to their, you're hitting their vanity to see if they're involved. And I, it's not, it's, you know, once again, it's, you know, it's, it's like college football. Like the NFL sees college football doing the offense, they steal it. That's all the same thing that happens in, in our world. You know, if somebody sees you something, I still stole from other people. So it's not like saying, you know, I'm not like saying that everybody took everything from me. I see something, I'm like, ooh, that's a very interesting way of doing things. And I try to bring it in, you know, as well. Like I saw people promoting their, podcast by doing a little minute audio about or video about what was going to be on the podcast like you know you put your little background up i said that's a pretty good idea to just say this is what's on the podcast a you get your face out there so it gives you more attention and b they can people are visual so if you sit there telling them what's going to be on the podcast they're more likely to click than they did and now my podcast is getting 50 percent more listeners than it did when I was just saying, here's the link, listen to the podcast. So, you know, everybody takes from everybody. <laughs> My next question kind of shift gears. You talk about social media and personalities. How do you feel about these personalities? I don't know if how you describe them, but they get away with more than average, especially, I guess, black voices in journalism. 
black, uh, when we're speaking out on politics, or whatever, we're stick to sports. We can't say certain things, but you know, probably who I'm gonna lead to the Clay Travis's, Will Canes, now Whitlock joined up with Clay Travis on that outkick network. How how do you feel about how they go about things and get almost get away with it? Almost like I feel like they're media plants at some spots. Versus if you get say something, people I see it, thousands of people in your mentions. You're racist. You're dividing the nation and this that, and third. But they're just doing the exact same thing and not even sticking to sports anymore. Especially in Clay Travis, he turned into all of a sudden a uh, Dr. Fauci and the coronavirus expert doing this entire seven month ordeal. Yeah, it's 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 one of those type of things where. Uh, People like Clay and Will and, and Whitlock and others, they're, they're acutely aware of the double standard, right? Uh, and they use it to their advantage. And I'm, see, the thing is, I'm, I'm never like a hater. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I've never count people's pockets or say, oh, they shouldn't be in the business or anything like that. I'll point out what's happening, but it's, that's really not me because I know there's a lot of people that say, hey, we don't like what you do, Rob. So, I try not to do that. What I try to do is I try to illuminate what is actually happening. Like Clay Travis realizes that the way Clay Travis can make money is by doing this. You know, Will Kane realizes there's there's money involved in doing this. Whitlock at certain point realized there's money involved in, in doing this. You know, even like a Kanye, you know, Kanye was a million dollars in debt, turns over to MAGA. Now he's he's in the he's in the in the green, you know, he's in the he's, he's in the black, he's he's billion dollars and all of this stuff. Like that stuff is not a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence that Whitlock has made millions of dollars and that he's able to, you know, before, if he would if just say like Whitlock was just neutral, he doesn't get to sit down with the president, he doesn't get to go to Congress, he doesn't get whatever he got, you know, as far as that deal with with uh with Clay. You know, nobody would pay attention to Clay if he just was neutral. So they choose that side. Now, me personally, I you know I have some morals, so I I, don't, I wouldn't go to that side. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a money thing. It's it's literally just a a, a money thing. And, and pe- there are people that are willing to sell their soul for enough cash. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. I know the people because this all goes back to the people that say, "Hey, I just work hard. I'm unbiased. I do my job." You know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not this. And then you look and you say, well, dang, but then Clay Travis is over here thriving. You know, Damn. how? How is he able to say these things? But if I was to say these things, I'd get fired. I'd get made my credentials get taken. It is frustrating, but it's also a microcosm of society. And I don't know what happens, like, you know, without Trump being at that head of that monster. <laughs> Right. Like, I don't know if like all of a sudden now then it becomes, you know, that's not in style anymore. We have to see how it goes, because even if it Trump's not the head of the monster, there's still a good part of the country that likes that type of that type of message that's out there. So I don't know if it's sustainable. We have to kind of, you know, see. Uh, but, you know, if you hit your, your your wagon, especially if you're black. If you're black and you hit your wagon to talking bad about black people, there's money in it and, and opportunities in it. If you're white, you know, you know, we like you, you see white people do stuff all the time and just get excused. Like, you know, I'm watching TV yesterday and they got the armed people in Arizona trying to mob the, the voting station. I'm like, it, can you imagine if a black people would have went to Wyoming or whatever, whatever place somewhere and, <laughs> and mobbed up and armed? We'd all got shot. You know, <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah. it's 
It's, it's a frustrating thing, but it's a reality thing that you just have to deal with it and kind of navigate it. Honestly, I, I think it is sustainable being that, you know, they all say sports is too woke. And like I said, especially mm-hmm. like pick on trade. Oh, ratings are down because they're talking about kneeling and talking about black injustice and stuff like that. So I think it's going to stay there because we see with the election how many people turned out to make to keep this same status quo that we got. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to keep riding that wave until that bread stops. And I feel like the bread's not going to stop because America is going to be racist for until we all, till we're all dead and gone, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, unfortunate situation in the sense that uh when i was in like high school and then early in college my thought was this you know because when i was in college and when i was in high school this is like the late 90s early 2000s right so we're a little removed from like the civil rights era and we're kind of you know out of that 80 that reagan you know, Bush type of stuff. So, and we're getting close to like the Obama years. So I'm thinking to myself that this, gen- the generation that I'm in now, which are like the the older adults that end up being the middle class and all of this stuff, like it would be different because we grew up in a different generation. But I didn't take into consideration at that time. And what I'm seeing now, as I look out at everything is that, you know, racism is taught uh, from the ground up and it's taught over generations over generations, over generations. And while it maybe is not as loud uh, as it was 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, that doesn't mean that it's still there. So if you are my age now and your dad and your mom and your grandma, your brother or whatever has been teaching you this racist stuff, it doesn't leave you. Now you have a a 10-year-old son, a 12-year-old son, and you put them in a MAGA hat, right? And you telling them that, you know, imagine right now some MAGA guy, he's with his kid right now. The kid is 12, 13, 14 years old. And he's telling them, you know, look at these Democrats still in the election. Black Lives Matter, that's a hate group. Antifa is all this. But yeah, when that kid's 21, 22, that's what he's still going to think when he's 30. And it's just passed down. So It's funny you say that, not to cut you off. I'm a teacher and I have a sixth grade student who's just like that. He watched the student yeah. news and he's like... Don't vote Biden because my parents bought a house and he's raising taxes on pro- he's yeah. raising property. So I said, what I said, I don't even know about property taxes like that. Who do you know at twelve <laughs> that's a, about that's taxes a and thing. stuff like that? So we're watching yeah. thing and he's just shaking his head like you have you're literally eleven years old. You have no idea how the country even works, but you're literally repeating the same rhetoric that your parents are saying. It's just funny you say that my sixth grade student does that every day. He hates Biden. Yeah, so, so, re- yeah you're right. So to answer your question, like I I I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know when the next 20, 30, 40 years or when we're dead and gone, is it going to get any better? Or we're always going to be, a, uh, uh, we're not, you know, it's the United States of America, but we've never quite ever been really united, you know, at all. Uh, so we just kind of have to see how it goes. But, the, you know, the one thing that you don't want to do is just quit. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> then they win. So you got to just keep, you know, going. <laughs> Hey, Rob, uh, I know one common thread that connects all of us homies here, even our, our homies in our other group chat, um, is sports. We are very passionate. We've had very heated, very passionate discussions about sports. And um, I was wondering sort of uh, if you share that sort of same passion since you are, are an entrepreneur and you have a media outlet that is sports focused. So um, can you kind of expand on that? You know what's sad? I, well, maybe not. I won't say it's sad, uh, but you're right in the sense that when you own something, 
there are times that you lose the, you forget and you lose the passion about what made you want to get into it in, in the first place. Uh, and I, I will say that after a certain amount of years, I think I was kind of getting like that. The thing that, that, that changed it back to where I think it should be was honestly, you know, my wife is, I, you know, she's a, a big sports fan. And I had got so into, like you said, being the business person that I think I had lost a little bit of my passion for, you know, sports. You know, it was always just, you know, covering this, doing this on social media, arguing about this, blah, 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 and everything. And and she helped me, you know, just say, hey, why don't we go to this as a fan? Why don't we just go hang out? Like, you don't have to do any work and everything. Remember, because in my core, and I think a lot of, I would say a lot of sports media people's core were sports fans. You know, that's what we are. Right. That's why we got into the into the to the business. And I, I tell people, people forget like uh, people find it funny uh, because maybe sometimes some of the content that we do is kind of all over the place. But I, I'm an X and O guy. You know, I'm a guy that see something, rewind it back and say, oh, he didn't get that block, you know, or he didn't set the screen right. Like I'm that guy, you know, I'm the all 22 guy. I'm like, where's the, the tape, you know, guy. And people won't say that because hey, we're talking about Kendall Jenner and Ben Simmons today, you know, but that's the guy that I am. Like, you know, I love boxing. You know, I'm like, oh, how did he set up the punch? You know, where did the uppercut come from? Where did the right hand? Like, Man, that's, talk to you. Yeah, that's, talk to you. You know, yeah, so that's that's the guy I am. So to answer your question, I think there was a point where it became like just a job, you know, like it just was business all the time. But I think, thankfully, uh, a very beautiful wife, very lovely wife, uh, who's, you know, this, if you guys aren't married, uh, if you're going to get a significant other, make sure you get you one that kind of gets you like that, like gets you back to your core, what you like, what was the best things about you as a person. Um, and if you do that, then I'm like, yeah, so now I'm a lot more chill. Like I'm not as high strong about certain things. I'm more like, hey, go with the flow. I don't stress uh, about stuff. And I do try to find myself enjoying what I'm doing because not a lot of people have been able to do the things that I've been able to do. It sounds like it goes a long way. I mean, um, I'm kind of like you. Like, I'm I'm a student of the game, nerd, X and O's. Like, ask Flock, I'll just hit them up randomly and just just bring up some, you know, yeah. random strategic discussion, and we'll just we'll just go on and on about just one single play and strategies and this and that. And um, it, you know, it, it does kind of go a long way, and it seems like it it would sort of assist you in your endeavor as a as a businessman. Yeah, I think you, like I said, you always want to keep your passion because you don't ever want, like, sports reporting, yeah, it's a job. Like, I mean, you have to, I, have to, I pay taxes and stuff like that. But out of all the jobs out there, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's you know, like, like you said, you go to the All Star game, like Daniel was talking about. Yeah, I mean, you have to do work and stuff. But, you know, it's the All Star game. You get to hang out, you get to interview the players, you get to see the things, you have access to all of this. You know, stuff like it's a job that a lot of people, especially a lot of fans, wish they had. So you want to always keep uh, your passion. I think and then it shows, I think, in your work uh, when you still are feeling very passionate about it. Man, that, that's good insight for sure. Uh, to to kind of wrap up here, Rob, one thing we like to do with our guests is a top five. All right. So I'm going to ask you, what is your top five moments as a sports journalist? It could be people that you've met it could be games that you went to it doesn't have to be in any particular order but what are those five moments that stand out to you well uh one would definitely be 
the first event that I covered as a credentialed media person. And that was the uh, Manny Pacquiao, uh, Ricky Hatton fight uh, in Vegas. I'm sure you guys have seen the highlights of that where he almost killed Ricky Hatton in the way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that was my yeah. first, that was my <laughs> first uh, you know, credentialed media. And that's a good uh, one. Yeah. Uh, I would say secondly would be getting credentialed for the Super Bowl, uh, going to the Super Bowl the first time, uh, 2010, I believe. That's a big deal. Uh, was that Aaron Rodgers, the Steelers? Yeah, that, uh, was, no, that's the Peyton Manning, uh, the, the Saints Colts. Saints, one, Saints, Colts, okay. Yeah. So it's 2009, yeah. 2010, I can't remember exactly which one. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, that's very, that's two. Uh, I know the other one is, is obviously doing my first NBA finals, uh, the Warriors and Cavs, you know, being able to sit there and not just covering the finals, being there on, you know, NBA TV, ESPN, ABC or whatever it was on. And they see you, you see yourself on television and you're asking questions to Steph Curry. You're asking questions to Klay Thompson, LeBron James, the coaches, Steve Kerr, like, that was something that was not, I didn't feel like it was attainable when I first started doing this. So that was a, that's a big, that was a big deal. Uh, four is actually probably a little one off the, off the, off the radar a bit. I went to WrestleMania uh, at Cowboy Stadium. I heard that be lit though. I ain't gonna lie. I heard yeah. WrestleMania is lit. WrestleMania at Cowboy Stadium, like 110,000 people, Shane McMahon jumping off of the cage uh, and stuff one of the best times that, that I ever had. And fifth, it really doesn't have anything to do with me personally, but I think it's the accomplishment of all the people that have come through the BSO atmosphere, the people that have been able to then in turn go and do bigger and better things, you know, with their, uh, you know, career. Uh, we've had like you know a bunch of beat reporters like Daniel. We have people work at ESPN, people work at uh, FS1, people get radio shows, people get TV shows. Uh, we've had so many people that have come through. Uh, some for just a pit stop, some longer, uh, but you know they come out of it and they're they're off doing other things. You know, they're interviewing, they're, they're doing entertainment, or they whatever they end up doing. You know, just to know that I had a little part of that and, you know, 95, 95, 96% of them are, are, are African-Americans. We do have a couple of white people that come in from time to time and some foreigners and stuff, but 90, 95, 96% African-American people that may have not had an opportunity to do something in sports media now, as I like to say, have a job with a W-2 and, you know, in media, in sports media, in entertainment media, because they, you know, I was able to help them in some little ways. Now they did all the, you know, they do the work. Like Daniel does all the, you know, the work and everything. I just kind of point them in the right, uh, you know, direction. Uh, but seeing that to me is the type of legacy that you can leave behind. Like I've done a lot of great things and uh, a lot of fun things, and I'm comfortable with, with what I've done. But to see all the people that uh, went on to do bigger and better things. Um, than me that as someone you know as the owner of the company and someone that wanted to give back that's kind of the number one accomplishment that that i feel is i want to be remembered you know as 
so that was uh, definitely a good top five. Uh, we I know we got one person at least is not a wrestling fan on here, so he probably don't like that. But okay, no, wait, <laughs> now, say, let me say what happened. I was a young child. My stepdad loved wrestling. And then I thought it was cool. He said, you know, that's fake, right? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, why? They stomped their feet, whatever. So he ruined it at six years old. So at that point, it's fake. I don't need to watch it. So I'm watching regular sports. So shout out to my stepdad. He ruined wrestling for me. So I never got to experience the, the joys of liking The Rock and Stone Cold and all that. I didn't get to do all that. <laughs> I, well, I was watching SmackDown. Yeah, I was watching SmackDown every Thursday. Monday Night Raw, too. <laughs> every week. But, uh, Rob, we definitely uh, want to thank you for coming on. Uh, we know you have a baby on the way. Yes. You said you were making, making some chicken. Uh, yes. <laughs> you're a very, very, very busy man. I don't know uh, which so. one's coming first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, as we like to do, uh, we want to give you the final thoughts, uh, give some words of wisdom, some words of encouragement, just whatever you want to talk about, and let you have the last word. But, well, most important thing, I think, um, and, and all of you guys uh, are doing great things and, and everything. There's a couple of things I always want to always try to leave with. First off, remember, uh, all we have is us. Um, so let's try to make sure we don't be our, our own worst enemy. Um, you know, that doesn't mean we always have to like each other. That doesn't mean that we always have to agree with each other. And I'm talking about as black men and, and black women. But also always remember that we, we're – 99% of the time, as long as you're not Whitlocking, on the same team. And if we undercut each other, that only helps the other side. Let's just put it like that. Um, so it's very, very important that, you know, no matter what beefs and, and things that we have with each other, that we try to handle those eternally, uh, not publicly, uh, that we help each other and realize that we all have the same goal, even if we have, you know, we're, we're taking different paths uh, to get there. Uh, secondly, you know, just make sure, as I always say, if you do the work, somebody's going to find you. Um, someone's going to notice you. Uh, try to help each other. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing is that we can help each other. That's, in the end, that's what we should do because, trust me, they're not going to help. You know, so <laughs> we have to, you know, help each other. Um, you know, you can find me. Anybody can find me on, on, on Twitter at BSO, uh, Black Sports Online, so website contact information is on there. Instagram is BSOTV, uh, Facebook is Black Sports Online. Uh, obviously, the new podcast keep the same energy uh, as well. I'm always open to talk to anyone, help anybody. Uh, that's, you know, especially as I get in my uh, gray hair years, it's really what I'm focused on, is trying to help as many people as possible in this crazy industry, in this crazy world that we're in right now. Like I said, Rob, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Rob. No problem at all. Appreciate it. You guys have a, a good night, and uh, hopefully we'll know who's uh, president by the time it's over. Man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Tryna fuck me and my homie, yeah. Shawty gon' suck to the money, yeah. I can't wait no doubt.